Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The Real Estate starts now. In today's episode, Year in Review, we look back on the last 12 months worth of episodes and highlight the stories that we feel were insightful and potentially predictive of trends that would affect our future. Ocean conservation, assembly line homes, urban farming, art world NFTs, baseball stadiums, sci-fi, and more. So join us today as we look back at the future. And with that, Alex, please take us out. You know, when I look back at the year, which spans now about 52 weekly episodes, I can't help but think about all the ground that we've covered, as you mentioned, and all corners of the industry and life that have actually impacted people. You know, first and foremost, though, I want to thank our listeners you know, for tuning in and sharing feedback. And I want to give a special shout out to Critical Thoughts 2020, who said, nonstop electric creativity and insights on current market trends. Looking forward to more episodes. Uh, and then from Murray, 5129, we're lucky they chose real estate. Always an incredible amount of value and information, and they give it all away. Listen and learn, then put into practice. So thank you, Critical Thoughts and Murray and all of our listeners, because it's because of you that we're here. So now let's talk about some of our favorite episodes that we've enjoyed throughout this journey. When we started this show, it was in the midst of the COVID epidemic. And on our very first episode called Suburban Brawl with broker George Schechter, which aired on December 15th, 2020, we brought home to our listeners the enormous impact that the COVID migration was having on the Miami real estate market. It's exciting to see that trend, if anything, has accelerated throughout the year as Miami continues to be one of the fastest growing cities in the U.S. Now, I wish I could say looking back on COVID back when, but unfortunately, we're still looking forward on COVID. But it was nice to see that first episode right out of the gate was something that has really been very predictive of what's going on in Miami since then. Well, you know, that was a special episode for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously because of COVID, but we were both migrants to Miami from New York. I mean, I, you had moved to Miami um, a few years ago, but I had just moved myself during the pandemic. So it was actually quite timely. That's a very good point. We were both basically kind of not new to Miami, but new as, as uh, full-time residents of Miami, or at least most of the time residents of Miami. And, you know, it's not just Miami, right? I think people were migrating all across the country. And we, we did cover a couple of topics. We talked a little bit about the Gulf Coast, talked a little bit about Austin. Uh, and I think that when it comes to migration, Miami is great, but Florida was, is, even, is even more interesting. Um, the different parts uh, of, the, of, this, of the state that provide different um, benefits to the community, different benefits for family, and different benefits for, for people just looking to have a good time. I agree. I agree. That episode 25, Gulf Coast with Felicia Doring, was a nice look into what was going on in St. Petersburg as uh, more of the tech community, more of the finance community looks for different pockets within Florida to where they want to settle, whether it's West Palm Beach, whether it's St. Pete, whether it's Miami. Uh, I, I think everyone who, who anyone who can spell NFT is living in Miami now. It's like <laughs> it's like the whole world of the uh, digital art world is here now. Yeah, well, that's, that's a very interesting point. And when you when you think about um, really good episodes, interesting episodes that not into the future, I think about um, Doug Robinson uh, and the discussion around NFTs and how 
the NFTs will potentially impact the real estate industry because it will be the way that contracts are written. It's sort of a patent, if you will, digital patents for documents that would take the place of deeds um, and all that, that would just impact the way that we transact and perhaps even take out the middlemen um, in, in our industry. That's an interesting point. You know, so many of our episodes I find are interconnected one way or the other. So many topics that transcend one location or one area of our lives. And the other thing that I thought was interesting out of the NFTs uh, episode was how it was a way for artists to continue to benefit from their work as that work changes hands in the future. We can finally now track and allow beneficial uh, financial rewards to the creators of the art, not just to the owner of the art at that moment in time. I yeah, that that, was yeah, that's because basically it's one and done. As soon as the artist sells it, then that's that's pretty much it. And all the people that make the 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 money uh, and and reap the rewards are everyone that you know, but the artist basically. So that's quite interesting, you know. And we talked also about um, about sort of the future. What I loved about um, in one of our episodes with Christy uh, Prigmore in Purpose Built. Uh, there was an episode number six was really on the future of construction and, and how um, some of the challenges that relates to environmental issues that, that halt work, whether that's rain or snow um, from workers actually working out in the environment. The, the trend now is to build um, not only prefab units, but build components of homes on assembly lines indoors and then ship to location to reduce the, the, the impact on workers on, on site. You make a good point, Alex. And I, I really enjoyed some of the episodes where we looked past the just the nuts and bolts of development into how the development affects a community. One of the most interesting episodes I thought was Past, Present, Future with Michael Fay, one of the most senior people in the real estate community here in Miami, uh, and at Avison Young, uh, who has been here long enough to have seen the evolution from cocaine cowboys to NFT tech wizards and billionaire and, and cryptocurrency billionaires. It's just been such a transformation that my, and, and Miami just feels like it's just getting started being only 100 years old. Yeah, I think there was a quote that um, back in the late 1800s, I think we talked about in the on the show, was that Miami was known as the wilderness that held much promise. I mean, I just imagine it would just have been um, not that long ago that Miami was just full of mangroves. And now look at it, it's it's uh, uh, the landscape has changed. You can't really look um, too far without seeing um, construction sites and sky rises. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's funny in Brazil, we always used to say Brazil is the land of the future. And that's the problem. It's always the land of the future. But in Miami, the future really hasn't come come up with a bang and the development has been tremendous. Uh, but I don't want to only focus on Miami. We also had a great episode uh, regarding real estate in New York City called Bright Lights Big City with Ed Freiberg, who is a uh, who is an acquaintance of both of ours, which was really nicely timed to highlight the enormous bounce back that we saw in New York real estate in 2021. Yeah, well, I mean, with that being said, I think we did talk about how there's been a cyclicality to to the to the value shifting and creation in some cases of New York City, where it seems as if the ebb and flow is disaster to disaster, right? Unfortunately, where we had um, tragic uh, 9-11, we had um, mark, um, stock market crashes, a couple of them, and then obviously most recently COVID, where people have fled the city 
for greener pastures elsewhere, thus creating an opportunity for new buyers to come in and and sort of sort of create some you know some some value in that in that city. And I think you know there's there's an old real estate term. Uh, that says uh, the best time to buy is when there's blood in the streets. Um, it, it, you know, probably was living in New York City at the time. <laughs> COVID in the streets, that's for sure. Uh, not to be taken away from those that have that have unfortunately lost their lives and family members due to COVID. But the moral of the story is is that there's a value to be had in markets that that are somewhat depressed. Of course, there's there's always opportunity with every with every uh, tragedy. There's also opportunity. There's also silver linings and things that, that can be beneficial coming out of it. And uh, and one of the things is a resurgence in New York coming out of COVID and a city that is close to both of our hearts. We've both lived there for many many years. Uh, you're there right now, uh, and uh, I've been there on and off for 25 years. Lived there more than any other city in the world, and I'm happy to see that New York is coming back in a big way and uh, not a surprise at all, really. Well, you know, it's funny because I when I when I left New York, uh, it was too much, right? Everything, it, just people it, it were on top of each other. Um, it felt like um, that you were living in a mall, an, outs, an outdoor mall, because there were shopping um, restaurants on every corner. I mean, it seemed like you couldn't leave your house without spending money. <laughs> and the, the entire city was designed to take your money. So um, unfortunately, retail has closed down, but uh, to a certain extent, and I think bouncing back, but it feels a little less congested, a little less pressure cooker-esque and, and the feeling of, of, of spending, of the need to spend money in order to enjoy yourself has dissipated quite a bit. So I think that New York has changed and hopefully um, for the better. But when I think about what it's like to live in a mall, <laughs> I also think about our conversation about malls and the evolution of what that looks like in one of our episodes where we talked about malls in America, uh, how the big box retailers are going away and how those are being replaced by by new, uh, more modern um, uh, pastimes and, and, and experiences. Very true. Uh, and uh, I wanted to follow up on something you said about the restaurants when we had our episode having reservations with Paul Gerard, who at the time was the owner and chef at Antique Bar and Bakery. And this was in the middle of COVID and all these restaurants were trying to cope and figure out how they could stay open and stay in business. And, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, the outdoor the outdoor um, prefab uh, uh, structures that were built so that people could eat outdoors and try to stay safe. Uh, but what we were using that in that episode was how important the community was to every aspect of your life and how important it was for the community to come together to help support these restaurants that were struggling to help support these workers that were not able to work from home, which was a big topic in a lot of our episodes of the 60% of the people that can't work from home that, that, that were really shut out of the economy when cities were basically shut down and, uh, and their plight and how the industries that they are part of, whether it's travel or or food and beverage, uh, and how they were able to cope with, were some of the best episodes I thought of our show. Yeah, you know, I thought that was that episode was very interesting. Um, you know, when Paul, you know, was talking about how his evolution of his his business, how from restaurateur now he's um, helping to design kitchens. And he talked about what the kitchen looks like and what it what it represents. And I, I think I made a comment on the show about how um, how small the kitchens are in comparison to the to the seating area of the restaurants. Of course, the benefit of that is to generate more revenue, more tables, all that good stuff. But how the unique um, experience it is to be a chef in a kitchen and the dance and the interplay of humans 
and dangerous <laughs> environments to fire the, the knives and, and all these things that people have to navigate around. And that, that, that dance, if you will, I thought was, was really interesting um, insight and story that Paul had shared with us. Agreed. And staying on the topic of food, I thought another episode that was very informative was Food Access with Alvin Crawford, where we talked about school lunches and uh, the whole subculture and industry around feeding these young kids, uh, kids who are disadvantaged, kids in, in poor communities, and making sure that they're getting a healthy meal so that they can grow in a healthy way, their bodies can, can, can grow in a healthy way, and which will allow them to learn, allow them to contribute back to the community, etc. So it's interesting how we think about reserv reservations and we think about restaurants and all, oh, oh, what a pain COVID has been. I can't go out and enjoy my food. We don't even think about the people that their only meal comes from, say, their school lunches. Well, yeah, it's a really good point because, you know, one of the things we, we, we did uncover in a few episodes actually is this notion of food deserts, right? And how there are places in America that don't necessarily have access to, um, to either uh, fresh food, uh, so so not, not close to to farms and, and sort of natural resources, but also not close to places like grocery and all of that. And so in some of these environments, some of these communities, the school is the place where, where families or, or at least the, the, the kids can get fed. That reminds me of an episode we talked about urban farming, uh, where the opportunity to be able to create farms indoors, utilizing existing space so warehouses, garage, and turning that into into uh, into to farms for flat greens, et cetera, that you know that that can feed communities is is really fascinating. And of course, we couldn't stop there. We had to figure well, where else can we farm? I know. Let's farm under the oceans. <laughs> <laughs> so we had land and sea with Bill McKeever, uh, an ocean conservationist, talking about kelp farming and. Uh, uh, and scallop farming and oyster farming and uh, all bio the ways valves. and biovalves exactly <laughs> nice nice buzzword there biovalves yeah that's what you don't want to hear the doctor come into when you're in the hospital you go like, listen uh, we took a look at your biovalves and uh, I got some bad news <laughs> eat more kelp yeah. so, <laughs> so I mean I think it th was very interesting because I think when you look back and you think, well, what does food have to do with real estate? I mean, so, so much. It's, it's not just about how you feed a community that allows a community to thrive. It's about proximities in which communities connect with, with food and how the food connects with the community, right? It's like, it's when we think about just farms on land, we talked about farms on sea. We also talked about fishing, right? <laughs> just the basic aspect of, um, how fishing communities can thrive based on the population of the of the resources that are in the the regional waters of which the cities uh, are located. So we talked about local fish. We talked about um, uh, sharks, <laughs> the population around, and sort of the population control and the ecosystems uh, that 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 sharks manage and, and control along with us. Yeah, I thought that Shark Tank episode with Bill McKeever was excellent. I'm a trustee on Safeguard the Seas, uh, an ocean conservation uh, nonprofit. And uh, one of the areas we're working on very carefully, very closely, is with sharks and sharks conservation. So I thought that was very interesting how he said that for every 10 tuna that these big fishing operations are catching in the Pacific, they're catching and killing five sharks, skinning them alive to take the uh, fin for sharks, shark fin soup and basically throwing the... Uh, throwing the creature overboard to basically sink to the bottom of the ocean and die. I thought 
thought that was a very uh, poignant point uh, uh, to bring up in the, in the podcast. Let's pivot for a second on art and community, because we did a lot of shows in that area that might not initially seem like real estate related, but again, like everything else, it's interconnected to our everyday lives. One of the most exciting shows we 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 uh, we had, I thought, was when we brought Walid Wahab on for Culture and Community, episode three, where we spoke about how not just building homes and apartments and offices and factories, but building cultural centers in communities like planetariums, like museums, can enhance the value of a city, can enhance the culture of a city, can enhance the education of people in all different communities when you can build them in communities where they're accessible. I thought that was a very interesting show. Yeah, and you know when we when we had that conversation with Walid, we did talk about the impact of the artists, actually, right? So the people that are actually creating the art, and how in some cases a success of a community um, from the art has a tendency to push the artists outside of those communities because the price gets too high, the cost of living um, gets gets unmanageable, and the artists end up leaving um, the Wynwoods of the world, the Miami design districts of the world. The Soho the districts of New York City. Right, and going, and going elsewhere and the impact that that has. I think the good news is, is that if, um, you know, when artists build up a community and then leave and go to another place, that next place becomes also a, um, a haven for um, for artists, and then it becomes creatively inspired. Very interesting. Yeah, didn't it jump from uh, Soho to Chelsea to Tribeca? I mean, it's uh, that's the evolution of a, a to, to a, Brooklyn a, to Williamsburg uh, and so forth and so on. So I think it's it's been really interesting evolution and migration of art and creativity uh, that that then creates the institutions that are behind it, the museums, the galleries, and all of that, that just are embedded and allow people to have access to those, to those, um, you know, to that, that, that inspiration, that creativity that, that was once created. Right. And we had that episode, Art Baseling, when we were riffing about <laughs> Art Basel and, uh, and Miami during that crazy week that is finally back. We also spoke about how- I mean, it's like crazy, right? I mean, you think about it, right? It's like, the the art Basel is like the Super Bowl of art. I mean, it's it's absolutely nuts. But you know, when you think about art Basling, and the, what I thought was fascinating about that conversation was the amount of exposure art has gotten because it's in an environment that is fun and energy uh, energetic and, and engaging. I mean, one of the things we did talk about was how you know the, the evolution of being able to only see art in a quiet museum surrounded by only a few people in a building that's massive on the top of a hill somewhere to being at a warehouse party with, with house music and techno with 20 somethings um, who are all snapping their photos and sharing it with thousands of their friends on Facebook and Instagram. And that now being the new art um, consumption experience that impacts millions. I mean, it's just incredible how that, how that evolved. And the evolution of real estate to accommodate the demand and the desire to express and to expose the art for people to see it whether you're a developer whether you're in construction whether you're a designer interior designer how are the pieces of art whether it's sculpture or painting or cloth uh, going to be exhibited in a home in a, in an office space so that you can maximize the uh, the uh, the, uh, the opportunity to appreciate the art and what it brings to the location yeah, I, mean, I mean, even even outside. I mean, right. I think look at Winwood. I mean, who knew that um, that that graffiti uh, and street art 
would become permanent canvases that would create opportunities for cities. I mean, when you think about what happened in the, you know, the street art in the, in the 80s, uh, and then even in places like Detroit, um, cities outside of New York City, where street art um, existed, but they were it was still considered vandalism to a certain extent. And that art was taken off the street and then put into galleries. And then you were able to consume the art in those, mar- in those markets. But nowadays, you go to Wynwood and the walls are literally, that's the museum. I mean, you go to Wynwood to look at these walls outside. Speaking of taking back land and repurposing it, the episode 26 underlying with Meg Daly, which is a tremendous project here in Miami of repurposing public land for diverse use, for public green spaces, for communities to get together, whether it's for sports, whether it's for appreciating art, whether it's uh, community activities, and uh, repurposing all this land that's underneath this the monorail that goes up and down north and south in Miami, which has been a, a tremendous success here. I mean, I, I was blown away by that episode. I mean, not just the fact that the revitalization, I would say, A, the repurpose of of the 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 transit the rail, but also the revitalization of communities and the intersections um, that that the underlying creates across different communities and boroughs um, um, or counties in Miami. But also, what that was fantastic is how that there are is a conservation component to it, and how the underlying and the work that's been done to conserve the land underneath these bridge, uh, underneath these uh, uh, structures, has actually brought back monarch butterflies to the communities. I mean, it's just it's just a fascinating way to show how an ecosystem and community can be re, re, reimagined um, through this approach. Speaking of reimagining, we had a couple of episodes discussing uh, studio production sites, on-location sites, uh, one with Aaron Kaufman speaking about the production sites. Little did we know when we did episode 19, way back when, that we were going to have an episode where we had to talk about Riff about accidents and catastrophes happening on site uh, for locations. Again, an area of movie making or TV that you don't think about the real estate, but how important the safety and security of the surrounding is uh, to the whole endeavor. Yeah, well, especially nowadays when you see um, or, or hear directors talking about how they want more realism uh, in their in their shoots, less CGI in the work that they're doing, um, and how they're getting stunt men and women to do more outrageous things in in live action uh, and actually just recently um reading an article about the, the the new spider-man movie and how a lot of those stunts were actually done live and how just dangerous all that stuff is but yet um for the for the interest of making the movie more interesting and exciting all that stuff is done is done live so there's a lot of risk that I think to be to that still has yet to be recognized in films that are being made um, from now into the future. You want to talk about risk? I'll tell you what's risky: standing up on stage in front of an audience and trying to make them laugh. That's risky, <laughs> right? And that's why I love that episode thirty-nine, lights, camera, action, with Elise Kenny, who is a uh, stand-up comedian and an actor, as well as a real estate broker. And I thought her. Her, her take on how real estate is all about relationships and connecting with people just like stand-up is was so uh, was so interesting. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I I I just continue to be fascinated by people who work in the in the real estate industry and how many hats uh, that everyone has to wear in order to be successful. Right. I mean, not only do you have to be 
a salesperson, you have to be interesting. You have to be a researcher and know about the market. You have to be um, a uh, anthropologist, understand the community in which these 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 houses and and buildings uh, uh, exist in, and you just have to be a nice, good person, and all and also a great business person. I mean, just the, the list goes on in terms of the skills and characteristics of a successful person in men and male and female in, in the real estate industry. And I, and hats off to, to those that, that are successful in, 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 a, in doing the grind and, uh, and are just getting started. So when I think about also uh, professions, I also look back at um, some of the episodes that we did uh, house calls with Michael Hines, who's a radiologist, and comes episode number twenty-seven, um, and uh, and um, and Gabrielle uh, with the plastic surgery, <laughs> right? The plastic surgery. That's right. Um, I think we couldn't stop talking about. You remember the guy wanted to take an X-ray for the hand, but you forgot about the guy making the breasts larger. Is that what you're saying? Uh, something along those lines. I think it was. <laughs> There was so much, so much humor in that because I think you know we we don't really think about about um, real estate as it relates to plastic surgery, but you know when I when I think about Miami um, and it, the city's aspirations to become a tech center, I recall there was a quote and one of the people um, you know one of the one of the the tech VCs in the area said um, we're trying to make Miami Silicon Beach. I was like, I was like, wait a second. Um, is it already Silicon Beach? I mean, for different reasons. But I think, oh, I think a city, um, in some ways, is defined by the citizens uh, who live there. And some cities are more vain than others, perhaps, or some cities are more conscious physically um, than others. And I think Miami, definitely being one on the top of that list, um, would say that uh, if you're a plastic surgeon, that's a place where you want to set up shop. And I think a lot of that has to do with the weather. Because I think if you look at California or Florida, where the weather is nice most of the year, and people have a chance to wear less clothing, show their bodies more, they perhaps have more of an affinity to improving how they look uh, from a physical point of view. And I thought that what was interesting about that Gabriel Plana's episode was how fast the demand had come back as soon as the COVID restrictions were lifted in Barcelona and people could go back to the clinic. I don't think he was expecting the demand to surge that quickly. It's interesting what's important to people after they're cooped up for so long. I I, it wouldn't have been my first choice to, to think that, oh, they want to get plastic surgery. But I guess people want to get back out and improve their lives and feel better about themselves. And maybe they feel lousy about sitting at home for a year doing nothing and they want to improve how they look in the mirror. And so off they go. And I guess they had a lot of money saved up from not spending. So they had more money to do the surgery. Yeah, well, you know, actually, that really brings up a good point, because on the other side of the spectrum, I think it was episode 49 called Living Free with Peter Ranger, we talked about uh, aging in place. We talked about uh, remodeling and renovating existing homes so that seniors uh, can live more freely in their homes. And so whether or not it's just physical adaptation, uh, but also home adaptation so people can actually uh, enjoy where they live more. And that's happening in places like Southern Florida. Uh, in other parts of the country, like California uh, and uh, and Texas, so I think that people's um, perception of of how they live and 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 their goals and aspirations of how they want to live, I think, are um, really about 
real estate. Yeah, I think the the point you made about access for everybody was a very good one. We also had episode seven, access for everyone with Cheryl Hines speaking about physically challenged people. And I just uh, I, I just remember that episode where talking about how you're reaching over the stove to grab something above the stove. It's the it's the simplest little motion, but for a lot of people, it, it's a challenge to get that done. And most of construction does not accommodate that. And I think that's a big area of improvement and a big area for improvement in the real estate world. Especially if you're short, <laughs> like you. <laughs> like us. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Reaching for the stars. Yeah. Put the ladder down. I'll reach for the stars. Yeah. Well, actually, speaking about reach for the stars, I think there was an episode number 13 where we talked about sci fi. We had a guest uh, that I uh, remember he, he's, he, he was a founder of the Miami Sci Fi Convention. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. The notion of this was a time when we were talking about conventions and shows when all conventions and shows were canceled. And yet how powerful the science fiction community was that we're able to uh, adapt to a completely online virtual um, virtual uh, setting, which at the time was unheard of, but like now it's like normal. Like I mean, you throw an event online, everyone that's like, okay, that's, that's how we do things now. But back then it was a, it was a, it was a risky endeavor and it was something that was quite unusual. I think the most interesting part of that sci-fi episode, sci-fi future was uh, when uh, we were just debating, are you a Star Trek or a Star Wars fan? <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, paraphrasing here uh, something that uh, Troy said, but it was something like, why would the hell would you want to be a Star Wars fan? Star Trek is all about uplifting and bringing com communities and cultures together and solving world issues. And Star, Star Wars is just a family feud where the family's trying to annihilate each other. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious, which is so true. The father trying to kill the kids. It's just a bad, <laughs> it's a bad situation already. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. I forgot about that. The other one. episode I thought that was a lot of fun um, and had a hidden gem in it was Home Field Advantage with Bill Janicek, who was one of the minority owners of the, of the Miami Marlins baseball team. And besides talking about baseball and community and uh, how sports and uh, and the centerpiece of sports, a stadium can bring communities together and can enhance communities. He is also the chairman of the board of St. John's University in New York and was also speaking about how they were reacting to COVID and how they were keeping their students safe. So it's interesting that we had different episodes that within the topics, we could have had a bit of a tangential topic that was also interesting to the listeners, I'd like to think. Yeah, well, look, I mean, healthcare and real estate just seem to be um, sort of they go hand in hand, right? Not only people are, are living, um, well, being born, living and 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 passing away in in uh, in their homes and or in our buildings, but the communities and industries that surround that um, have you know hospitals, uh, healthcare facilities, urgent care facilities, pharmacies uh, that sort of impact their communities and are a vital part of our communities around the country, if not around the world. Not only that, we, we had an episode 46, Bioprotect with Federico Galeotti on, speaking about the companies that you don't even think about that are out there disinfecting our world overnight when we're not even watching, and how they were, uh, they were keeping bus stops safe from COVID so that people could commute uh, during this pandemic. So looking into the future, I mean, we think about all the great episodes of that we talked about and, and topics that we discussed last year. Uh, let's look into 2022. All right. You know, I think, you know, all of the things that we mentioned are not only uh, important and pivotal 
to our to our near future, but they're also pivotal to our future and beyond. They'll always be, be evolving and changing. And when it comes to talking about food um, and the options and in innovations that are happening with that, with our environment, um, things that related to our communities and our cultures, um, things that are related to technology and NFTs, I think we're going to see more and more of that. So I'm actually looking forward um, to next year to, to really dig into some of these topics and come up with a few more that actually are, are impacting people's day-to-day -day lives. I agree. And uh, as I think to the future, it takes me back to an early episode, episode four, Zooming to the Office with Linda Taylor, who was a, uh, a oh, human resources that? expert. Yeah. And I, I think that, that when beginning. you think about, yeah, right at the beginning, when you think about what Zooming has done to our culture and how that is going to affect migration, which cities are going to grow, which industries are going to grow, how people are going to be able to congregate in places they want to live, not they have to live because that's where the office is, how that is going to affect the size of office buildings, the square footage of, of real estate in Midtown Manhattan, for example, how are you going to repurpose all that? How are you going to improve the community and the diversity of an area as that change is happening? So I think that early zoom into the office episode really is a nice picture into the future of an, of, uh, an issue that is not necessarily real estate related when you think of it initially like a technology to speak to somebody over your computer, but how it has changed everything about real estate going forward. Agreed. And I think we should get some of our guests back on to just revisit where we were last year and where we are you know, when we when we get them all right. Because <laughs> I think that there's a there's a snapshot on what the current conditions are and where they're going. And I'd like to put Please some bets, actually. Uh, my bet is on Miami and Philly. Um, but I think we're all going to be very uh, much surprised as to which, which cities we see um, coming back and thriving uh, mid-year. So looking forward to the real estate in 2022. I'm also looking forward to having guests come back and giving us an update and uh, uh, sometimes a change in direction as things change over time in terms of different industries and different sectors of the economy in our lives. I also want to throw a shout out to the riff episodes that we've done, which I think we've done three so far or four, where we get a chance to talk about a topic and enjoy uh, some jokes back and forth and maybe bring a little uh, levity to uh, the situation. Yeah, that, those are fun. We'll see more of those uh, in 2022 for sure. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for the support you've given us over our first year uh, in business here with the Real Estate Podcast. And we look forward to entertaining you, informing you, and enriching your lives in the future. Have a happy new year and looking forward to 2022. Happy new year, everybody. You've been listening to the Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.